You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. I'm your host, Brendan Clean. I'm a credentialed media member covering the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation, as well as Dime Magazine. Follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns. And free agency continues in the NBA today. Day two, basically, although effectively we still are not official with anything until August 6th, but Nevertheless, some dominoes continue to fall. Spencer Dinwiddie, DeMar DeRozan, the big names. But from a Suns perspective, we have some new things to talk about as well. Today's rundown for you. Chris Paul, the new details on his contract, courtesy of John Gambadoro. Talked about it a little bit last night with Brandon about Rick Buecher's report. Gambo was able to provide a little bit more context to the structure and salary of that Chris Paul contract, the four-year $120 million deal. So we'll get into that. Also want to talk about JaVale McGee a little bit more. Um, Interesting clip from Chris Haynes went around. Also got a question about McGee from our listener. So I'm going to be weaving some listener questions in throughout as well. And there's going to be one to close the show that was perfectly aligned with what I was already planning on talking about which is about who's left and why I'm still relatively optimistic that the Suns can get at least one more player who will make a difference in 2022. So that's what we're going to talk about. Stick around for all of it, of course, and not going anywhere. Every single day this week, uh, we will be back. So let's start with Chris Paul. Contract details. So we knew, obviously, straight off the top, four years, $120 million. That was the big headline and rightfully so player who is going to be 40 years old in four years and already was thought to have cashed in one last time when he signed the deal the last deal this one that just ended with the Houston Rockets however it seems even better than that from a son's perspective in terms of keeping this core together and the reason is third year Partially guaranteed, according to John Gambadoro, about $14 million, uh, $15 million worth, sorry. And the fourth season, which Gambo said was a team option, it, it's fundamentally the same thing, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually formatted as a very small guarantee that last season. Um, would be very strange to have a partial guarantee on the third season and then a full guarantee, but a team option on the fourth season. That's just not a very typical structure, and if you were to not guarantee the third year, then the fourth year gets a little... like It's just not commonly put together that way, so I think some people were a little um, confused, but my guess is it would be 15 or so that third year, and then maybe five or so that fourth year would be my guess. So if the Suns were to, after two seasons, buy him out, they would have to owe him about $20 as a roundabout number, as, as a guess from me. But all of that said, it obviously means a few things for the Suns that are pretty good, again, to keep this group together, run it back this year, and have some flexibility going forward. The first reason is that the deal just looks a whole lot shorter. You're not on the hook for as many seasons, talking about a situation in which 
Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton are set to start making quite a bit of money. Cameron Johnson, extension eligible next offseason and would have his deal kick in the following summer. And then, I, you know, potentially Jalen Smith right after that. That's what happens when you draft well. So having two years basically fully locked in is pretty nice for the Suns, especially just getting further down that timeline a little bit. You can, at that point after this coming season, when the Bridges and Aiton extensions would actually kick in, you then have Sharich and Crowder on expiring contracts. So tradable deals, of course. And so that that's useful as well. It, it basically reaffirms what I've been telling you guys quite a bit over the past week or so, which is that this season figures to be very, very important for the Suns. That's not even factoring in, you know, a new contract for Landry Shamit or any of these other parts. So basically you're looking at a two-year commitment the other part of that is you can front load it. So two years allows you to be a little bit more flexible in terms of not being expensive for quite as long, but you can also get some more flexibility by having the very beginning of that contract potentially be where the money really is. So you could have a contract that declines from year one to year two. So if you're assuming that there's about $60 million in those first two seasons, you could have something where it's you know, 32 in year one and then 28 in year two. Frankly, I think that's a pretty smart way to do it if if the Suns were going to do that. It would give them, again, more flexibility this season, but again, more next season as well, which brings us to the final ingredient to this situation, which is that the, the luxury tax becomes less of a concern. The fact that it was able to come in around only 30 and Cameron Payne's contract was very, very team-friendly at around $6 million annually. That means that the Suns are going to avoid the salary, the luxury tax this season, which is why we saw them use part of their regular mid-level exception to sign JaVale McGee. And it also means that going forward, if they were to front-load it, as I was describing a minute ago, that they would be able to potentially avoid some, some luxury tax concerns going forward, it's not to say that I'm trying to give Robert Sarver an out to not have to pay that luxury tax. I think if you have a great team and you want to compete for a title, those are the breaks. Those are the the the, the bites at the apple that you have to take. You have to spend. You have to roster great players and keep them. It's why it was obvious that the Suns needed to do whatever it cost to keep Paul. And it'll be the same when we're talking about extensions for Aiton and Bridges. It'll be the same when we're talking about Cameron Johnson and eventually as crazy as it sounds, a new contract for Devin Booker. So avoiding the luxury tax this season just because you do still have those young guys on their cheaper salaries, I don't have an issue with. We haven't seen them shy away from spending. We'll see how that goes. And again, I'm going to get to some of the potential targets at the end here. But we haven't seen you know them cheaping out on the other portions of the roster. So if, if that's the case and you're able to avoid the luxury tax by getting some team-friendly contracts like we saw with Cameron Payne, then I think that's a very smart way to play it this season. And then it allows you in the future, maybe you do have to go out and spend a little bit more. Maybe these young guys do all stay put and continue to improve and create a championship level roster even after Chris Paul is gone, but one that could get a little bit more expensive. And then maybe then is when you go into the luxury tax. Maybe you trade a few salaries altogether and you get a very expensive player in return, and that's what takes you over that salary, that luxury tax hump. So I don't have an issue with it 
this year because, frankly, they didn't really do much to avoid it. It's not as if they dumped salary or cut players or traded away, you know, picks that they might have just to get off of money or any of that craziness. They, they just did it organically. So I don't really have an issue. They've still upgraded the roster with McGee and Shamit as well as the guys that they've been able to re-sign. So I think they're set up to be very competitive and they'll be able to do more. And it gives them the, the, the luxury of waiting, paying the tax in a future season when there is a little bit more of a crunch. So all of that to say, the, 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 the Chris Paul contract being set up the way that it is gives them future flexibility. It allows them to keep him happy, pay him what he's worth, give him some extra years of guaranteed money that he can take to the bank as he ages and, and finishes out his NBA career here. And they're in great position to win next season. So really about as well as I think they could have done on that Chris Paul deal. Would it have been nice to just maybe have the two years and and leave it at that and, and avoid the, the non-guarantees and all of that? Yeah, but at the same time, it gives them plenty of money, uh, plenty of flexibility. And at the end of the day, it's only money that's standing in the way of them continuing to utilize that flexibility. If they just have to pay that $15 million to get him off of the books, if if he wants to part ways or if he wants to you know, go play for a smaller contract somewhere else or whatever it ends up being, it's only $15 million. All you got to do is pay it and he's gone. It's not a matter of having to trade a huge contract or any of that. So all around, very, very good on both sides here. Chris Paul getting what he wanted, the Suns getting that flexibility that they were hoping for. And the end all be all is Chris Paul is coming back and a player has chosen the Suns after many times of that not happening. So that's the obvious good thing as well. So let's get into next here. A little bit more on JaVale McGee, just a quick sort of update on him. Chris Haynes had a nice story about why the Suns pursued him, and I had a nice listener question as well about what type of impact we can expect from JaVale McGee. So let's get into that right away here. First, though, a quick word from Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever and my favorite protein bar. Also, the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. So those guys are out there winning golds in Tokyo making us proud here in the States and uh, being powered up by Built Bar. So it never hurts to do like the pros do. If they trust it, who are any of us to say otherwise? They're making it nice for us as well with summer flavors like strawberry, orange, and cookies and cream to spice things up during the hot weather. Obviously, you don't want to leave your Built Bar out in the sun here in the Arizona heat, but pack a few right with you wherever you're going. Use them to get you through from lunch to dinner. Use it before or after a workout, whatever it is. Packed with protein, low in sugar, delicious, covered in chocolate, all of the great things you know about Built Bar already. Some new flavors, some new opportunities, constantly keeping us on our toes over at Built Bar and rewarding us with some delicious bars in the process. So take advantage, try those new flavors, try your favorite again, go to built.com, make your purchase, use the promo code LOCKED15 when you do to get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Keeping things rolling here, talk about JaVale McGee for a moment. Um, a player who I think fits for obvious reasons here. I don't think anybody's unfamiliar with JaVale McGee at this point in time. He did have a little bit of a weird season last year in that he ended up over in Cleveland because the Lakers just didn't want to pay him his second year salary and he wanted that salary and that totally makes sense. He was paid more than the minimum and he got that contract. He got an even bigger contract from the Suns here um, and then ended up in Denver after they traded for him at the deadline and then they hardly played him as Suns fans will know from that second round series where he hardly 
saw the floor. So I think you'll have a bigger role here. I think you'll have more stability here. But again, a player who's going to shoot 60% or better from the field is going to rebound at a pretty solid rate, I think. You know, he, he does tend to fluctuate, but I think you're good for, you know, four to five, maybe six rebounds per game and shot blocking. He's not a guy that's going to scare people away, but he's in there for, you know, a weak side rotation. He's in there for an athletic play at the rim, even at age 33 going on 34. All of that to say, the part that I think I underrated about him and that came up during that Denver series that I just mentioned was his hustle. And Chris Haynes over at Yahoo Sports and Turner had a really good story at on an NBA TV hit that he did that I wanted to share with you guys because it tells us a little bit about why the Suns pursued McGee and a player who, frankly, got a bad rap, I think, as a goofball. And it's not to say that he's not, but I think he has really matured as a player and learned how to fill a role, be a good teammate, and hustle and, and play hard every moment of the game. That's what Chris Haynes told us, and, and I want you to listen in. I want to tell you about a story that Chris Paul told me about today as it pertains to JaVel McGee. He told me after game two, Suns Nuggets in that playoff, the, the Suns, I believe, won by 25. It was a blowout game. And JaVale McGee got into the game the last six minutes of that game. And JaVale McGee was just running up and down the floor. The game was a blowout, but he was running up and down the floor. And that really caught the attention of Chris Paul. After the game, Chris Paul pulled JaVale to the side and said, hey, big fella, you made a huge impression on me. The way you came in this game, you were playing like this game was still uh, still up for grabs and you went hard and I respect that bro keep doing that that was the moment that um, the, that was the moment that Chris Paul knew that he wanted JaVel McGee on his team and so Chris Paul along with Devin Booker played a role in convincing JaVel to come over here and it had it had everything to do with just that little six minute spurt they were they were not friends before you know they were not friends so they're not really close right. but it was that little six minute spurt that caught his attention. And that's how we see we got JaVale McGee over there in the Phoenix Suns right now. So pretty good, right? I mean, the fact that Chris Paul took notice of it is cool in its own way. And I think goes back to the increasing and maybe not increasing, but but consistent level of input and influence that Paul has been given here as a leader of this team, not only against among his, his teammates, but within you know, the, the the leadership of this team. And I think that part of it is cool, but it's also great to hear that this group, which is so much defined, I mean, this is a Suns team that is defined by its hard work, its, its sort of cohesion, chemistry, and discipline as a group. It's why they make each other better. It's why they're able to play better than the sum of their parts. And if they, and if particularly Paul, thinks that McGee is a player who can be part of that and and improve it and and fit into it, then I'm going to go ahead and give him all of the trust that I need. Uh, the analysis kind of ends there. I, I don't have a better gauge than Chris Paul of who's going to fit with this group. So I think to me, it, that kind of says all you need to know about his chemistry and personality fit with this group. And look, he's also over... In Tokyo right now, I'm sure Devin Booker spoke with him as this deal was materializing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were at least, I don't know what the 
hotel and camaraderie situation is like over in Tokyo. I don't know how much time they're actually spending together, but they were in communication, I'm sure, and, and it wouldn't have happened without Booker feeling pretty good about it as well, we can assume. So all of that's to say, the unknowable part for most of us is that that chemistry standpoint, and, and what are these guys as people going to do when they're put into a locker room together, and I think that's a pretty big green check mark that it's going to go fairly well, and that there is buy-in there. Which brings me to first reader question of the day, which comes from, I believe his name is Dan. Um, incorrect. It is Zach Reed, longtime listener. Appreciate you, Zach. Anyone who wants to chip in with a question or comment at any time, again, that is at Locked on PHX Suns. I will answer your question if you throw me a good one, even if I don't ask for them. Today I did, and that is uh, why we got Zach's question, in, in addition to a lot of good ones. But Zach's is related to this whole JaVale thing, and it is that DA got pushed by CP3 this year, Zach says. So how do you think JaVale may impact Aiton next year, and did that play a role in the signing of McGee? So I would say, well, first of all, Chris isn't going anywhere. So I would imagine that that, you know, sort of mentor-mentee relationship will continue. But I also get what you're saying, which is that last season, and I wrote about this, talked about it on the podcast during the playoffs of the external motivation that I think we all know DeAndre Ayton to have at this point. And so I get why you would ask. And in the in last season, he didn't have a backup. He didn't have a player to push him from behind in that way in terms of in, in practice, in games, in, in the locker room, in, in meetings, film, whatever, a player who he could sort of connect with and and be pushed by in that way, whether it was Rashawn Holmes or Aaron Baines in the past, Aiton always had that. He didn't have it last season. So I think, Zach, you're right to think that JaVale will do some of that for Aiton, but I don't think it's quite going to look the same as it did with Chris Paul for obvious reasons. I, I do think at the end of the day, JaVale is sort of a loose, chill type of dude. And I think that's honestly a benefit for him. And, and it's going to be a different type of relationship that Nathan might have had with other centers that he's played with, but I don't think it'll be a bad one because if you remember those Lakers teams, it was pretty pretty widely known that JaVale was there in large part because, um, I guess I should say Lakers and Warriors teams, that JaVale was there not just to fill his role and, and do his thing as a player, but also because he got along very well with the stars on the team. He was in that group when they would travel with LeBron, with Rajon Rondo, with, you know, the the star sort of section of that locker room. And so, and Anthony Davis, of course. And I think that's really big and it starts to matter more. We're not used to talking about that stuff here in the Valley. It's been a while, but it does make a difference. You need those types of people, not just players who can fit into a group and help the overall chemistry, help the overall vibes, so to speak, of the team. And I think McGee will do all of that. In addition, I don't think it's going to be a bad thing that McGee is is going to be able to impart some wisdom on, on DeAndre Ayton. I think, if anything, we've learned that Ayton is all ears and will listen to... I mean, this is a guy who, as much as we want to laugh and, and be silly about it, he's won three championships. And so that, that has to mean something, and it's going to add to the pedigree of this locker room. And then I think the last part is that it'll just be nice, Zach, to answer your question for Aiton. I think he'll appreciate not having to play 
so dang much. He was a player, especially come postseason time because of Sharich's injury, but also just the bad matchups that the Suns ran into, frankly, where Aiton was having to play 40 plus minutes. That's not a long-term solution. That might be something you can do in the in the finals or the conference finals if you make it there again, but having that be the case, you know, right from the jump in the first and second rounds is not what you want. And so I think in that way, Aiton will learn to appreciate what JaVale can do as his backup and just benefit physically and production-wise from having more freshness. I think that has to be the hope. So all around, he seems to be a fit here. He obviously is going to be a fit with how they play, getting easy shots at the basket, dropping into the paint to protect the rim. He's going to be pretty seamless there, and I think the chemistry, character, connection stuff is all going to be there as well. I feel very, very good. They paid quite a bit to get McGee. Again, a raise even from the contract the Lakers didn't want to pay him last season now, making $5 million compared to 4 and change last year. But I, I think it's just going to benefit the Suns in all of these different ways, and, and they needed a backup center so badly that you can't fault them for going this route. Okay, closing out the show with some last remaining options, why I'm optimistic the Suns can get one of them, and just generally as we make our way through the filling out of this roster, got another bigger picture question on what the rotation might look like. So let's get all of that going here in just a second. First, though, a quick word from Rock Auto. Tons of makes and models of cars these days. It seems like you go to the dealership or look around online to buy a car, and there's six different types of every single vehicle that you look for. Trim packages, different upgrades, different um, parts, and and this stock versus that, and tech package, which is what my car has, versus the regular standard stuff. It's pretty complicated, and it makes it even harder to find the part that you need. Rock Auto is there for you regardless. They're not going to be as difficult or as expensive as a dealership or even a chain parts store because they've been doing this for years. 20 to be specific. They don't require a membership or a subscription to purchase. They have an easy to use website and again, prices that are reliably low. So don't spend 30, 50 or hundred percent more for the same exact parts you could get at a chain store or car dealership. Save time and money and use Rock Auto. The big stuff like engine parts too, the smaller stuff like new carpet or a sun visor like I have told you many times that I was able to purchase Go explore their easy-to-use website today. Find the solution to your auto parts needs. And when you are at rockauto.com and make your purchase, write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Again, that's rockauto.com. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Closing out the show with... I will start with the questions that I got about the rotation. It's one in specific, and it's from Paul, who is at Paul underscore C underscore SF. And it leads us right to the remaining players on the market. Concerned that they haven't made other moves with the available talent drying up, do you think that they plan to trade Saric to facilitate other moves and it fell through? Um, No, Paul, I don't think that they were going to trade Dario Saric. I think the only imaginary situation where I could have seen that happening would be if they were to stack a bunch of players, including Sharich, up to get to a bigger salary. That would have been for a star-level player like a Pascal Siakam or a Bradley Beal or something very, very high-level like that. We obviously did not see that happen. Neither of those players have even been traded. Aside from that, it doesn't make much sense for them to trade Sharich. A, it's just a little bit 
cold, frankly. You don't see teams trade hurt players very often, especially if they're under contract for multiple seasons. And it also wouldn't have really freed much else up for them. They would not have gotten cap space in any meaningful way by moving on from Dario Saric. They would not have opened up any additional exceptions. By getting under that luxury tax line, that was the big thing where they're able to use that full mid-level exception now. And so trading Saric wouldn't have done much. However, we will use this opportunity that Paul, just since you did say you were concerned about the talent drying up, to talk about some of the remaining guys out there that the Suns may be able to go ahead and get. So we did see DeMar DeRozan leave the board. We did see Spencer Dinwiddie leave the board today. Kendrick Nunn, Bruce Brown, some of these types of guys. There are still some, uh, Patty uh, Mills, Rudy Gay, both gone as well. I do still feel optimistic, and I will remind everybody that the Suns felt like they were falling behind last offseason as well and then came out of nowhere to basically get the last fit left in free agency by signing Jay Crowder to that three-year deal with the full mid-level. So I would urge people not to quite worry yet, but I do think we're getting there. So the guys that I think would salvage this offseason to a, a decent degree, I will start with the forwards. So the main one, the obvious one is Paul Millsap. Now he was with the Nuggets for three, four, five years prior to this now. But they re-signed Jermichael Green. They obviously have Aaron Gordon now. And they could be looking to move on. They don't necessarily have the minutes for Millsap. He is on the older side now. And they have an MVP who sops up quite a bit of the minute load there as well. He is 36, Paul Millsap is. So nearing the end, but not done. Was pretty good. He was one of the guys that I kept wondering why the Nuggets didn't play more in the playoff series against the Suns, but he did. He has seen his minutes go down. He played just about 20 last season, averaged less than 10 points per game. I think he's serviceable, and if you're asking him to just be a backup alongside McGee and and Jalen Smith, I think it can work. So that's the big one. That would be the, you know, potentially the remainder of the mid-level exception, and I would feel very good if the Suns could bring him in. He could be a guy you could throw at, at Giannis types, potentially, as another option. He would give you more size that the Suns were lacking, I think that's all around a pretty smart way to go ahead and spend this money. The other forward options would be Danny Green, who I, if I'm remembering correctly, has not been signed. It feels very weird, and I'm going to have to check myself on that. Um, no, he has not signed anywhere. Um, that, to me, sounds like an obvious target that the Suns could look to, just in terms of a guy who you know can stay on the floor as a team defender in the playoffs and can make threes. And then lastly, Josh Hart, who is a restricted free agent, so things do get a little bit dicey here. But we saw Bruce Brown accept his qualifying offer, which is basically the same type of amount that the Suns have left with their mid-level exception, just below $5 million. And if Josh Hart is similarly, you know, not having the offers out there that he might want, I wouldn't be surprised if he were to accept a smaller offer. You know, that said, a restricted free agency offer sheet has to be longer than a season. Maybe Hart also wants to take the qualifying offer and become an unrestricted free agent next season. But I think he would be a very nice fit here. He's obviously small. He's not helping the size problem, but he can rebound really well. He makes threes. He can handle the ball a little bit. So I like him as well. That brings us to the guards, though, so the smaller guys. And there's shockingly quite a few left. And so I think that's another reason to be fairly hopeful that the Suns can get someone here that can at least play for them. Maybe not in the playoffs, but at least in the regular season. First off is Spencer, is Dennis Schroeder, sorry. 
And that's probably a pipe dream. And I don't really know if the Suns would want him. He's in, in terms of decision making and everything else, not exactly a Suns type of player. But I think that we heard several times from Chris Paul how close that they became in Oklahoma City. And I think that's a, a badge of honor we just talked about with JaVale McGee, that if Chris Paul gives you praise, then you're pretty likely to be well-regarded by the franchise that employs him. So I, th- I don't think that's one to ignore. I would also lastly point to Lou Williams, who I've seen people talking about on Twitter here. I've seen fans getting a little bit excited about. I don't think that's terrible. And I think despite being you know an, an unorthodox type of player, in that he's basically good for isolation scoring, and and that's just about it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and we just saw him survive on the court in the playoffs in a way that I think most of us thought he was done being able to do. And so I think you got to be pretty optimistic that he can continue to do that. So he can at least eat some innings for you and score and play in the early rounds of the playoffs. Is he undersized? Is he poor defensively? Yes, but you know, you're asking for a player basically to be your fourth guard at this point behind Paul Booker and Payne. So I don't think that's a huge need at this point anymore. And I think uh, I, I think that's where things stand. You're, you're probably not going to get anybody fantastic. The last one I will mention, though, is Andre Iguodala. I don't know where you factor him, if he's a guard or a forward or whatever. But I think the combination of, of size on defense, the ability to at least be an option against you know a Giannis type of player in addition to being a smart playmaker makes him very very intoxicating and having the championship experience the the gravitas there all of that would be very good if you're thinking about that sort of pedigree you want between Paul Crowder and McGee now you add Iguodala to that mix who's a multiple time champion too and you start to feel pretty good about things that brings us to our last question though which is from at pander952 he asks, uh, my thoughts on Cam Johnson taking the majority of Tory Craig's minutes on top of his own. It seems like Cam, according to Pander, is a 30-plus minute player, and that might be why we haven't seen urgency for another wing, and he says he thinks they anticipate the same thing with campaign at guard. I agree with you about the guard situation, like I was just saying there. I don't see them needing to have a player at the guard spot who's going to play 20 minutes a night. I think the guy that they add here is going to be somebody who, you know, during injuries or different absences, maybe he plays a little bit more. But on most nights, he's going to be in that, you know, Carter Galloway more role where, you know, even on their best nights, those guys were getting 10 to 15 minutes. And I think that's what you're looking for. You also have to factor in Landry Shamit, who can potentially play some 2-3, but is in that mix as well with Devin Booker doing the same. So, you're, you're kind of, I think the guard spot is less of a need. I would say a, a wing with size or a big is, is priorities number one and two, because we're also not talking about Abdul Nader, who got re-signed today on a two-year contract just above his minimum. So the Suns bringing him back, rewarding him a little bit, and giving him a nice payday. That all basically means there's not a lot of space there at that guard spot. So I would lean toward an Iguodala, a heart, a Millsap before the rest of those. And I agree with you. Cam Johnson's going to take some of those minutes. Cameron Payne's going to take some of those minutes. But I do think you just want you want more variety. It's not that they don't have enough players or depth at this point, but it's that they they just generally speaking need uh, you know the other places a little bit more. There are some other things there about you know depth in general. I will just 
ask everyone to remember that James Jones told us last week he thinks of roster building like a note card and three by five. He wants three options at every position, and I think that's how we should be thinking about this roster. And also, a couple more thoughts. Factor in Summer League here. They have veterans on their Summer League roster for a reason. They have older players who have gone overseas, competed, maybe played in college and were decently successful, but either went undrafted or flamed out of the league and now have gone to Europe, not unlike Cameron Payne. It's a lot of what their Summer League roster is made up of. And so if one of those guys really, really performs well in Summer League, it would not surprise me at all if the Suns rewarded them with a a spot on the regular season roster, just because they are going to be older and, and, and probably cheaper than some of the other options. Lastly, Speaking of Summer League, Tyshawn Alexander is a player we shouldn't forget. I'm not saying the Suns plan to play him next season, but they did add him to their Summer League roster. They kept him around all last year and obviously think pretty highly of him. He was a decent recruit or a decent prospect coming out of the draft. People thought he would get drafted and he did not. So I don't think we should ignore that he'll probably have a place on this roster if he earns it and could be a player who gets on the court a little bit next season. So again, the guard spot seems to be answered for more so than the other areas. And I think just generally speaking, that versatility and lineup flexibility, you just want a wing or a big more than you want those other spots. Okay, that closes us out. More to come. Free agency not over. The Suns have quite a few spots on their roster left. Still some big dominoes to fall around the NBA. Check back here every single morning as more of these deals come down the pike. And I'm here for you every single step of the way. Enjoy your Wednesday, folks. Talk soon.